welcome to the Liquid Church Podcast, a place where you can hear the timeless truth of God's Word in a way that's culturally relevant and cutting edge. Today, you're tuning in for our special Christmas series, The Gift, where we'll reflect on the true meaning of the three gifts the wise men brought to honor Jesus upon His birth. And we'll ask ourselves the question, what will I offer Jesus this Christmas? It's our hope this message will help you discover how God's story relates to your own and that you will leave feeling encouraged. Thanks for joining us today and enjoy the message. Upon seeing the bright star of Bethlehem in the sky, three wise men from the east began their journey to find he who has been born king. They followed the star to the place where baby Jesus lay in a manger. They had arrived with one purpose, to worship him. The wise men each presented their gifts. Gold for the everlasting king, frankincense for the prince of peace, and myrrh for the mighty warrior. This Christmas, we'll reflect on the powerful, true meaning of those gifts and ask ourselves, what gift will I offer to Jesus? Well, Feliz Navidad, Liquid Church. Let's send some Christmas cheer to all of our live locations and church online. Guys, I am so glad that you are here with us. Now, my name is Kyra, and it is great to be here as we continue our Christmas series, The Gift. Have you been enjoying the series? Because I know I have. And today, I actually want to give our church online community a heads up that we will be celebrating communion. So you want to go and grab some crackers and juice to join with us. Now, for the past three weeks, we have been looking at the three gifts that the wise men brought Jesus. Uh, the Gospel of Matthew actually records wise men from the East traveled to see the one who was born King of the Jews. And that on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary and they bowed down and worshipped him. And then they opened their treasures. They actually gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So if you remember from previous weeks, gold actually signifies Jesus as King. Last week, we talked about frankincense, which represents Jesus as our high priest. Pastor Tim talked about that last week. And then today, we're actually going to be looking at the last gift, which is the gift of myrrh or mirra, as I learned to say it way back when I was a little girl. So everybody give me your best rolling of your R's and say mirra. All right. Myrrh or mirra is an unusual gift to give. So I actually want to ask you guys a question. Anybody here ever given a gift that just bombed at Christmas? Like I remember when my husband and I were dating, the man once gave me an almond joy for a Christmas stocking stuffer. You guys remember that candy? It's got chocolate and coconut. The problem is I have never liked almond joy and I never will. And I felt like he should have known that. Like he was my boyfriend. He needed to know everything about me. So I remember when I saw that almond joy, I was like, man, I am not happy. Or like my mom one time actually gave my brothers socks and underwear for Christmas. And the woman wrapped them. And I remember thinking, why? Just why? Like. 
My brother was so excited. He's like opening it up and then bam, it's just socks and underwear. Now, I think myrrh would have been a gift like that. It's, it's a very unusual gift to give a baby. In fact, not many people know a whole lot about it, but it's actually used at least 17 times in the Bible. You see, occasionally myrrh would have been used as an anesthetic substance. For example, when Jesus was on the cross, the Roman soldiers offered him myrrh to dull the pain. Mark, the Gospel of Mark actually says they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. Now, more commonly, myrrh is known as an embalming fluid, okay? It was used to treat dead bodies. Now, I don't know like how much Mary knew about what would happen to baby Jesus. Like typically when you give birth, right moms, you like you wonder about your baby, what they'll become, what their personality will be like, who they're going to marry, who, you know, how many kids they're going to have. You don't really think about when they'll die. And yet, myrrh is a gift that signifies here is a child that is born to die. Remember, it's a gift that's used to embalm dead bodies. So Merry Christmas, enjoy this myrrh. But it actually makes sense if you remember that each one of these gifts actually foreshadows something about Jesus. And in this case, myrrh is foreshadowing the suffering and the sacrifice that Jesus would face later in life. It actually means Jesus is our sacrifice, which is the title of my message today. And it represents Jesus as the suffering servant or the Lamb of God who died for the forgiveness of our sins. And that's why today our main passage isn't actually from any of the four Gospels of the New Testament, but actually from the Gospel of Isaiah. Did you guys know that? That scholars actually say there's a fifth Gospel in the Bible and it's the passage of Isaiah 53. Isaiah was a prophet who lived about 700 years before the birth of Jesus Christ. And what we're about to read is one of the most amazing prophecies in the entire Old Testament. It's the story of your salvation as predicted in the book of Isaiah 700 years before it actually happened. Now, my daughter and I recently watched all of the Back to the Future movies. So I feel like we're about to like join Marty McFly and hop aboard Doc Brown's DeLorean to travel back in time all the way. We're gonna set the flux capacitor to 700 BC because we're actually gonna get to see this prophecy come to life before the events actually take place. It's one of the ways the Bible proves its supernatural origin, validating our faith to this day. Now, What's unique about this prophecy is it actually portrays Jesus not as a conquering political hero, as some of the people thought that he would be, but as a suffering servant who would, who would save his people through his own personal suffering. So let's begin by reading Isaiah 53, 6. Here we go. All of us, what's the word church? Like sheep have strayed away. We have left God's path to follow our own. Now, this is a very vibrant prophecy. So I'm going to be pointing out three things that Isaiah describes throughout this entire passage. And the first is who this prophecy is for, which is for all of the stubborn sheep out there. You see, 
Isaiah actually starts by describing a very human condition. Men and women who, like sheep, have strayed far from God. And unfortunately for us, calling us sheep is not a compliment, okay? If he called us an eagle, yes. A cheetah, most definitely. But a sheep, eh, not really. Like, it's not really a kind thing to say. Like, last time I checked, no one ever says, hey, want to come over and watch my sheep do some amazing sheep things? It's actually the opposite. Sheep are weak and they're wayward. For example, if a coyote or a lion comes after a sheep, they don't know how to defend themselves. They're not fast. They don't blend in. They don't have claws. They're weak and defenseless. And guess what? So are you and so am I. We are also weak and defenseless. In fact, COVID-19 actually showed us just how weak we are in the physical sense, but we're also weak in the spiritual sense. You know, two weeks ago, I had to go to one of my kids' schools, an advocate for them. And the night before, I just found myself feeling really anxious about it. Like I was sort of dreading it, which is very unlike me. And I remember laying in bed that night and having a hard time falling asleep, which is how I actually know that I feel anxious. So I did what I typically do when that happens and I started to pray. And as I was praying, laying in bed, I said, Lord, I actually feel fearful. Like, I, I don't know if I have the strength that I need to see this process through. I feel weak, much like a sheep is weak. And I realized I needed God's power to actually be made perfect in my weakness so that he could give me what I needed the next day. Now, I don't know what that may be for you today, but I know that right now, many of you are navigating different situations that's left you feeling weak. You may be, I don't know, overwhelmed this Christmas. I mean, who isn't? Maybe you're navigating a health situation, parenting through a very difficult season. Whatever it is, we lack the strength to go through this on our own because we are weak. But like sheep, we're also wayward. Wayward is like a fancy word that means wonder. And that's what sheep do, right? They wander and they tend to follow the crowd. If one sheep does dumb sheep stuff, other sheep will follow suit. In fact, I want to invite you to take check this sheep out. I mean, she got stuck in a ditch. You see the farmer, her shepherd, is gently trying to remove her out of her ditch. She fi he finally makes it happen. And here she goes on her merry way and watch, watch, watch. Bam, she does it again because she is a dumb sheep. So understand, when the Bible actually compares us to sheep, it is not a kind thing to say. Sheep are not the sharpest crayons in the pack. They're wayward. And if one jumps off a cliff, the rest will follow suit, which is kind of where our culture is right now, quite honestly. Like people are wandering. Truth has become relative. No one knows what to believe anymore. So Isaiah, he's actually calling us out on our sheepish behavior. He says, all of us like sheep have strayed away. We've left God's path to follow our own. But then Isaiah goes on to say this, yet the Lord laid on him, what church? The sins of us all. Translation, Jesus is our good shepherd. You guys ready for some time travel? Because I want you to leave your finger on this page. We're gonna travel forward to the Gospel of John, where Jesus actually declared, I am the Good Shepherd. The Good Shepherd lays down his life for the sheep.
In other words, Jesus willingly laid down his life as the remedy for our sin and our separation from God. You remember last week, Pastor Tim talked about the gift of frankincense. We learned that because God is holy, he needs to punish sin. But because God is also merciful, he appointed a substitute sacrifice to pay the price to forgive our sins. And that substitute is Jesus, our good shepherd, who lays his life for his sheep. So what Isaiah is doing is that he's prophetically describing our need for this shepherd, someone who can actually stand in the place of our sins so that we can be forgiven even when that good shepherd would be rejected. I want to invite you to keep reading in Isaiah. He was despised and rejected. A man of, what's the word church? Sorrows, acquainted with deepest grief. Guys, I got news for you, okay? Jesus wasn't the life of the party. I mean, sure, he was a joyful Lord, but he knew grief intimately. So much so, he was called a man of sorrows. And by the way, it wasn't his sorrows because Jesus never felt sorry for himself once. His sorrow was actually for others. He was deeply intimate with the sorrows of the poor, sorrows of the sick. He was familiar with mental, spiritual sorrows, and he was full of sorrow for the fallen, desperate condition of humanity. But that's exactly why people turned away from him. You see, Jesus's view of life and money and possessions, of lust and prayer and worship, of pride and humility and fear and faith was actually countercultural to the way of the world, still is to this day. And because human beings are stubborn sheep, they turned away from him. Look at verse four. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. Now, let's just pause here again. We're gonna put our finger on this page. We're gonna time travel forward to the New Testament because I actually want you to see where this prophecy of Isaiah starts to be fulfilled in the Gospel of Matthew. Now, let me set the scene, okay? Jesus had been arrested. The Roman authorities didn't know what to do with him. So Pilate actually asked the crowd, what shall I do then with Jesus who is called the Messiah? And how did the crowd respond? Everybody answered, everybody together. Let's say it together crucify him. They turned their backs on Jesus, just like Isaiah predicted. Now, I don't know if anybody here has ever felt rejected or oppressed by someone else, but if you have, can I ask, what was your reaction in that moment? Did you suffer willingly in the place of your oppressors? like Jesus did? Or did you actually lash out and defend yourself? Now, my daughter came home a few weeks ago and told me, Mom, I feel like I was the butt of a racist joke. And she went on to tell me a boy from her class, without her permission, put a can of beans in her backpack, told her to use it as a prop. Here you go. Use it as a prop in our Spanish class because you're Hispanic. So Clearly, you eat beans all the time. Now, when she told me that, I'm like, are you kidding me? That kid's a jerk face. I, I felt like my heart fill with rage. And I said, I'm going to go to the school. I'm going to tell the principal what that kid said because he needs to pay for what he did. 
Understand, I could never imagine sending my sweet daughter to pay the price for that boy's prejudice. But that's exactly what God did. He sent his own son into this world as a suffering servant, which is the next stage of Isaiah's prophecy. So let's keep reading in verse five. It says, but he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our what? Sins. He was beaten so that we could be whole, whipped so we could be healed. Guys, again, we're going to put our finger here. We're going to travel forward to the New Testament, but this time we're going to go to 1 Peter. Here's what it says. He personally, meaning Jesus, carried our sins in his body on the cross so that we can be dead to sin and live for what is right. And I want you to read this last sentence with me. Here we go. One, two, three, big loud voice. By his wounds, you are healed. Guys, you see what's happening? Isaiah is actually predicting in the Old Testament that Jesus would be whipped for our healing. And the New Testament is actually confirming his wounds is what makes us whole. So do you know what this means? It actually means that you can pray for healing because of what Jesus did. In fact, this past week, I actually prayed for a friend who has COVID-19 and I prayed this scripture over her. I said, God, your word says, by your son's wounds, we are healed. And so can each and every one of you in this room pray for any situation in your life that needs healing. Now this past fall, if you guys remember, we were going through emotionally healthy spirituality. We talked about how God wants to enlarge our soul through grief and loss. And we joined Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane as he got a glimpse of what awaited him in the cross. And Isaiah predicted, his prophecy says, that Jesus would be pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins, beaten so we could be whole, whipped so we could be healed. He was oppressed and treated harshly. Again, if we just travel forward to the New Testament, this time to the Gospel of Matthew, specifically the night before Jesus was about to face the very thing Isaiah predicted 700 years earlier. Because I think we can actually understand why Jesus himself declared, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Guys, it's easy to see why as he's all alone, Jesus falls with his face to the ground and he prays, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Jesus is begging God to remove the cup of suffering from him. He's so distressed at what's about to happen, at what Isaiah is describing, that his blood actually mingles with his sweat. But as we know, Jesus eventually submits to the Father's will, praying, yet not as I will, but as you will. And after he submits to the Father's will, he's arrested. And his disciple Peter takes out his sword because he wants to defend Jesus. And here's Jesus's words to Peter. Put your sword back in its place, Peter. Do you think that I cannot call him my Father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels. But here's the key, guys. Here's what Jesus says. But how then would the scriptures be fulfilled 
that say it must happen in this way. Man, is anybody's mind blown yet? I mean, we are literally seeing Isaiah's prophecy fulfilled by Jesus. Like what are the chances that 700 years before the birth of Jesus, Isaiah would be able to predict the death of Jesus with this kind of accuracy? I mean, if you need more proof, we can keep going. In fact, I wanna invite you to hop again because we're gonna travel back to the Old Testament, keep reading in Isaiah. Here we go on verse eight. He was oppressed and treated harshly, yet he never said a word. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as the sheep is silent before the shearers, he did not open his mouth. Do you know this is actually where we get the phrase, like a sheep to the slaughter? Because what is Isaiah describing? He's actually describing the moment after Jesus is arrested, when the authorities bring Jesus before Pilate. So when we go forward to the gospel of Matthew, we read that it says, when he was accused, by the chief priest and the elders, Jesus gave no answer. Jesus made no reply, not even to a single charge to the great amazement of the governor. In other words, Isaiah prophesied Jesus would never say a word to defend himself. And Matthew's gospel confirms exactly that, that Jesus gave no answer to his accusers. Isaiah actually continues prophesying implying Jesus would be so disfigured, he wouldn't even be recognizable as a human being. Look at verse five. He was beaten so we could be whole, whipped so we could be healed. And if we fast forward again to the gospel of Matthew, Matthew actually records, they stripped him, then twisted together a crown of thorns, set it on his head, they spit on him, and struck him on the head again and again. And that was only the beginning because the most painful part was when the innocent one who had never sinned bore the sins of the world, became everything that is vile and filthy and unholy and demonic. And God in his righteousness and holiness, who cannot look upon sin, actually pulls away. And the intimate relationship, the intimate fellowship that Jesus had always known with his father is broken. And if one of the most agonizing moments of the crucifixion, Jesus Christ calls out, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And as Jesus is lying on the cross as our living sacrifice, the Roman soldiers offer him wine mixed with myrrh. The Gospel of Mark says they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. Church, why did they offer him myrrh mixed with wine? You guys know? It's because when you're in pain, people tend to drink to dull the pain. And the Roman soldiers knew Jesus is in pain. So I want you to understand the very gift that the Magi brought to Jesus 33 years before to celebrate his birth is now being offered to him as he laid on the cross, bringing to full 
completion, what was foreshadowed with this gift, that he is our sacrifice, that he is our suffering servant. And instead of taking the myrrh and actually doling his pain, Jesus instead declares, Tetelestai, it is finished. Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. And he gave his life for the forgiveness of our sins. And the prophet Isaiah, 700 years before this ever took place, prophetically declared what this child, the innocent one, born of a virgin, would endure on our behalf. Isaiah actually continues of the suffering servant in verse 8. Unjustly condemned, he was led away. No one cared that he died without descendants, that his life was cut short in midstream, but he was struck down for the rebellion of my people. He had done no wrong and had never deceived anyone, but he was buried like a criminal. He was put in a rich man's grave. Guys, how did Isaiah know that 700 years later, a rich man named Joseph of Arimathea would bury Jesus in his tomb. You want to know how? We got to travel again forward to the gospel of John. And here's what John says. Later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. Nicodemus brought a mixture of What's the word, church? Myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds. And taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it with the spices in strips of linen. Myrrh was the gift that Jesus received at birth to be used at the time of his death. Church, this is the complete fulfillment of the purpose, the plan, and the will of the Father for His Son, Jesus. So I want you to understand the entire story of the Bible is God actually marching His world to the moment when the conditions were just right for the coming of His Son, Jesus. And even though people like you and me can be stubborn, cheap, rebellious, disloyal, wayward. God never once abandoned his grand redemptive plan. Instead, we actually get to see that with sovereign authority and the seal of his grace, he carefully controls all of the events of human history as he's marching his world to the moment when the good shepherd, his son Jesus, would be born. And once Jesus is born, we see him never once rebel never once question the plan, never debate, never doubt the mission, even though Jesus knew 33 years later he would willingly march to his death on the cross. He knew he was born to be the lamb of sacrifice. He knew all he had in his future was nails, thorns, and swords, and yet he was willing to pay the price because he knew his march to death was the only way to march life and hope into our lives. So you need to understand the Christmas story 
is not just a story about a family who had nowhere to stay, of singing angels and amazed shepherds, of wise men and a jealous king. Church, the Christmas story is about a God who invaded history with his glorious grace to provide you and me with the one thing that we desperately needed, a good shepherd. One who would actually pay the penalty for our sins through his death so that we could enjoy fullness of life. And even though the cost of that grace was the death of his son, God never wavered from that plan. And that's why Isaiah finishes his prophecy saying, but it was the Lord's good plan to crush him and cause him grief. Can you imagine being crushed, saying, this is God's good plan for me? Those of you who are suffering right now, can you have enough faith to say, this is part of the Lord's good plan for me? You may feel crushed right now, but understand out of this grief, God is going to do something great. Church, this is the good news that God has for his people. It's actually what separates Christianity from all of the other world religions. The fact that we have a God who became flesh, who was willing to be pierced for our rebellions and crushed for our sins, all so that we could become whole. So when you think about the Magi bringing baby Jesus, the gift of myrrh, a substance used to embalm the dead, you understand God was actually foreshadowing what was to come, how the Lamb of God would be sacrificed for the sins of the world. In fact, Jesus himself understood this and he prophesied of himself in the Gospel of Luke. He says, the Son of Man must suffer many terrible things. He'll be rejected by the elders, the leading priests, and the teachers of the religious law. He will be killed. But on what church? On the third day, he will be raised from the dead. God sent Magi to bring him gold, prophetically declaring he'd be the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Frankincense, because he is our great high priest. Church, the veil is torn, and now we can come boldly to the throne of grace. And then myrrh, an embalming material that declares this child was born to die. He is our sacrifice. And because of his willingness to die for our sins, we too get to be part of this amazing Old Testament prophecy in Isaiah. Did you know that? Jesus is actually not the only one predicted in this passage. In fact, 2,700 years ago, God actually prophesied you in this passage. And read with me verse 11. When he sees all that is accomplished by his anguish, he will be satisfied. And because of his experience, my righteous servant will make it possible for what's the word church? Many to be counted righteous, for he will bear all their sins. Church, for many to be counted righteous means you and it means me. You are at the heart of what the Lord Jesus Christ said that he would do. By his stripes, you are healed. He was punished for your iniquities and he was pierced for the forgiveness of your sins. That's the good news of the gospel.
That is the gift that we receive and we celebrate at Christmas, which actually begs the question, will you enter into the fulfillment of what Jesus did in the New Testament for you? Did you know Christmas is for you? You know, at Christmas, you sometimes see bumper stickers and buttons that say, Jesus is the reason for the what church? Season. But that's actually not true. In fact, I can tell you, I'm a pastor. Jesus is not the reason for this season. You are. According to Isaiah, you are the reason for the season. That's why Jesus came for you to rescue you from sin, from hopelessness, from death, from disease. You are the reason for the season. In fact, turn to your neighbor and tell them you are the reason for the season. That's why Jesus came. He came for you. So I want to end our time together by asking, have you trusted this suffering servant as your Savior and Lord? Remember the gift of myrrh foretold the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. Jesus died so that you could live. And his invitation to you is to receive eternal life today. Did you know the Bible actually says, at just the right time, I heard you. On the day of salvation, I helped you. Indeed, the right time is now. Today is the day of salvation. So I want to give you a chance today to receive God's gift at Christmas, to receive Jesus as your sacrifice and Savior. So my invitation is for all of us to bow our heads for prayer at all of our campuses. Would you guys bow your heads with me? Father, you sent your son Jesus as the good shepherd. He is the shepherd that draws men and women to him. And so today I ask that your spirit would remind everyone of how much you love them, of the truth of your word, of what we've been reading in Isaiah. Lord, I thank you for your invitation today. And so I pray for the heart of your children to receive your truth and love. If you're here today and you realize you need to give your heart fully to Christ, I wanna invite you to follow me in a simple salvation prayer. If you want your sins forgiven and you want the hope of heaven, then pray this with me out loud, okay? You, you pray these words out loud after me. In fact, let's all pray together so that no one feels left out. Jesus, it's the Christmas season. And tonight, I believe, I believe that you were born and came to die for me. I believe you are my living sacrifice. So today I give you the gift of my life. And I thank you for dying on the cross for me. Fill me with your Holy Spirit and I give you my heart. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Can we give God some praise for new believers? Guys, if you prayed that prayer for their first time, I just want to say congratulations. And what better way to end our time together than by celebrating communion. Today on your way in, you should have gotten a communion cup. And so I want to invite you to take it out now because we're going to take a moment to meditate on what our Savior went through to bring eternal life to you. Isaiah says he was pierced for our rebellion. He was crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole, whipped so we could be healed, oppressed and treated harshly. Jesus is our suffering servant. He surrendered his life for you. And today he's inviting you to do the same thing. For those of you who have already received the gift of eternal life, he's asking you in this moment to surrender everything, every moment, every situation, every relationship, all of your gifts, all of your capacities to his will. You know, I actually wonder how your parenting, your marriage, your finances, how all of that would change in 2022 if today you made the choice to bring him the gift of your life, to completely surrender, just like the suffering servant chose to surrender his life for yours. So let's just take a moment, a few minutes of silence. I want you to think about any area of your life that you need to surrender to Jesus. But as you continue to pray, let's go ahead and take the bread which represents the body of Christ broken for you. And then drink from the cup, which represents his blood shed for the forgiveness of your sins as a sign of the promise of resurrection that's awaiting us on the other side. Thank you for joining us today. If you want to check out Liquid Church for a weekend service, small group, outreach, or clean water trip, you can find out more about us online at liquidchurch.com. And if you enjoyed the podcast, go ahead and subscribe or share it with your friends. Thanks again for listening.